I was gonna say, I think it's important to clarify that neither of us, particularly because it would only be me, will be drinking maple syrup during this Canadian GP review. Cold ground on our lined up on the grid, it's lights out, and away we go this week's grid walk. I am crushed because moments before starting to record this podcast, where I have hidden a fun fact from Nicole for days now. She saw said fun fact already, but the fun fact is that this is episode 22 of Gridwalk, and it is re- being released on the 22nd. 22! I love that. It fired in my brain in a way that, like, only the universe, the planets aligned. It was 22 on June 22nd. It's so fun. If only it was 2022, but, you know, it, close. 22. Close enough. Yeah. It's the Yuki Sonoda episode. It is the Yuki Sonoda episode. <laughs> Which feels perfectly unhinged for what's going to happen today. Like, oh, I feel like Yuki will approve of the podcast we are doing today. Particularly because I'm sure at some point in this podcast, I will say that Yuki will be in that Red Bull seat within 12 months. The last two weeks in Formula One have been a whirlwind of topics. There was so much to get into last week that we have rollover topics, and I can't wait to get into as many as we possibly can jam-pack into today's episode, because the Canadian GP was wild. But before we get started, quick reminder up front, don't forget to follow the podcast if you're listening, subscribe on YouTube if you're watching, and please, please, please leave us a comment or review. It helps the algorithms show other people the content, so if you like it, you could just help us out a little bit. Um, And then question of the week is, let us know which driver impressed you the most at the Canadian GP this weekend. Topics we're going to get into today. We're going to play a game, which we're going to let a tire decide what of many press releases are worthy topics to discuss. We're going to send off the W Series before previewing the F1 Academy race in Zandvoort this weekend. But first, the Canadian Grand Prix, of course, we have to recap everything that happened because despite Max winning by nearly 10 seconds, this was definitely one of the most exciting races of the season with incredible talking points. Could Alonso or Lewis have actually challenged Max for the win? Friday's practice was unbelievably chaotic. Did Ferrari finally get a race strategy right? Is it time to have the Checo conversation? We're going to talk about all these things. But we have to start with my driver of the weekend, Alexander Albon. Also my driver of the weekend. I figured we were going to be on the same page with this. There was magic in that in that blonde boy's car. I don't know what. Oh my gosh, it was exciting. Hard tires, Nicole. Let's get into how he did this. Alex Albon, P7 in the Williams. I just, I think this is going to be one of those incredible stories when we look back on the season at the end of the season. The fact that they had, they had to either rebuild the old spec car or rush the upgrades to the car. They chose to rush the upgrades to the car. The upgrades obviously helped. And Alex Albon in a Williams was able to hold off an entire DRS train of cars 
for 50 laps. It, and it's one of those drives that it's hard to um, contextualize how hard that is because I think it's easy to default to, oh, well, you just couldn't pass in Canada. Even though we saw that you could pass in Canada, he had to not make a mistake on degrading tires for that whole time because he he misses one braking point by a millisecond and makes a mistake, then, then Ocon goes through. Yeah, no, it... it just absolute magic i think to your point of like this is a race that we'll talk about at the end of the season i think i mean i'm on the side of i think alex albon is going to do wonderful things in his career and i think this will be one of those early points that like people point to like just like when he got like in the points last season and it was like monumental moments this will be one of the beginnings of the stories of alex albon in his career of like big moments that he remembers and there's so much incredible moments of celebration and just again, time and time again, he showed throughout the race, his ability as a driver, because one, if anyone forgot, he's driving a Williams and with all of the decisions that they made still his ability to do what he did with that car, with those tires and maintaining. I just loved watching on the the tracker of the there's the map and there's the Alex Albon parade like there he is and there's all <laughs> yes. of the little that's behind him but so true could not make one mistake because someone would be literally right there behind him and then behind him and then behind him and then behind him to like immediately take over he was on it he must have been sweating or to in George's words it'd be raining totally on it loved Alex so yeah. deserving P7 I absolutely love it and he did something similar last year where he was on the hard tires. I'm blanking on what race for until the last lap. And then he pit on the last lap and got P10 for a point, which in last year's Williams was a win. But this being a P7 just felt huge, so big for that team. And everyone was so happy. But I dug into the data because I wanted to know what what was causing all of this. What's causing it is there's a fairy godmother that went to Alex Albon's, uh, his hotel room, and he's like, "Here you go. This is what you have. You got 24 hours. <laughs> this is life. what you get. This is what you get." I'm gonna share some straight line speed data. All right, this is from Project F1. If you're only listening, this is speed with DRS, and on the left you have average speed trap. So that's at the fastest point on the track and then on the bottom of the graph you have the average for the entire lap of speed and nicole how would you describe where alex alvon is on this graph like just the top of the average speed oh my god he's i don't know how to explain a, a graph at all <laughs> that's I'm fair i put you on the spot this. i'm literally like he's at the, i literally almost said he's at the, he's at the top, top. He's yeah, like, the that, that's... top was going to be my words. And that's when I said, Nicole, that is not descriptive words for data. Tippy top is not. But that's exactly what I was hoping you would say. Okay. Is that he is at the top, which means that his average speed trap speed, which is at the DRS pass. Like if you were going to make a quote unquote DRS, easy DRS pass, his speed at that point was is the fastest of all the cars on track because <laughs> he's like no you're not 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 he's like i'm gonna go his foot was on the ground 
Right. So even though his average speed per lap over the whole lap, I would say like it was just kind of like below the fast cars. Right. It wasn't anything outstanding. Um, both the Ferraris, uh, Max, Alonso, Lewis were all faster over the course of a lap. Um, I would also point out that Perez, basically all the drivers who stayed ahead of Albon were faster over the course of a lap. But all the cars that got caught up behind him, you'll see where Esteban Ocon on this, he has the same average speed per lap as Albon, but he is more than 10 kilometers per hour slower through the speed track than Alex Albon was. That's why he wasn't able to pass because even with a DRS advantage, you're not making up the nearly 14 kilometers per hour that he is behind Alex Albon on the straight. This graph of just seeing the like cluster of drivers falling like right underneath Alex, it is just so incredible. What a what a Canada race. And the the fun thing is that they're all in this straight line, the same as Alex Albon, because they spent the entire race behind Alex Albon. And Alex Albon was like a pace car. He was a safety car out there, and they and but they weren't faster on the straight, so they couldn't get by. Which means that if you want future, if you're like us and you're just constantly rooting for Alex Albon to have like good things to happen to him, well, look for other tracks with this type of characteristics and Williams should have a, a decent day if they can get their strategy right and track position. Because that that's the magic behind all of this is that Alex was put in a position where he was able to have the track position to hold everyone back. And then their straight line speed was too high. So it would be very interesting to have another comparison um, yeah. with Logan and Williams here. But I have a wholesome podium for probably one of the most wholesome races, the Canadian GP. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So my P3. Yuki doing a post-race flip into the river. <laughs> it was an unbelievable front flip. Uh, one of his team members is leaving for another team on the grid. It was a whole celebration of throwing him into the river. And then you just see Yuki yeeting himself full front flip into the river. Incredible celebration. Very impressed. Yeah. I was impressed with the flip. And then I also thought his social media posts, like sending off his, like, he said that like, he'd become close friends. And like, I, it just, it, it really was wholesome. I approve. I don't know how you're going to top this if that's your P3. Yeah. I, there was just wholesome enough. Wait till I get to P1 because I that's, <sighs> that's where we get to the story of all of this. Okay, and my P2, the lumberjack version of Valtteri. And this combines his helmet, which has an incredible design of groundhogs, beavers, an actual cartoon of him dressed as a lumberjack in full-on blue plaid but the cherry on top of it all because it's gridwalk's favorite alfa romeo then sold the plaid blue that he's wearing on his hat as vb canadian gp merch valtteri Bottas in his post mercedes era is just like what can i monetize i don't know if i would describe that as wholesome 
The, but I liked it little, a lot. Like the beef, the little groundhogs and the beavers are so cute. It's all the cartoon drawings, and then being able are to you, turn it into merch. There's just. I so think you're cute. forgetting Valtteri and beavers, and right. No, I'm talking yeah, but the design itself, ignoring. Ev- I'm talking literally design itself. <laughs> all right, we can agree cartoon, to disagree. It's exactly. fine. What is your cartoon, P1? Beavers. <laughs> And, uh, okay, my P1, Alex Albon Pets celebrating Alex all weekend. That's a really good choice. I love that account, and it is incredibly wholesome. Alex Albon has an Instagram account for his, God, I think he has, like, 12 cats, like, four dogs. There's a recent episode of Gridwalk where I talk about an update of how many pets he has or something. And... (laughs) Throughout the entire weekend, the pets, someone was posting updates of the pets watching Alex all weekend. (laughs) Suddenly, now there's been lots of talks with the upgrades that Mercedes had, that the upgrades that Aston has had, and the upgrades that will continue to come. The gap from Red Bull, it's closing. It's getting smaller. It's still, maybe? I don't know. What is the gap in comparison to where it was, is there still a gap? Is it really closing? Do we have hope? Tell us. Tell us in the data. I will never take away anyone's hope. I will take it away anyone's like annoying, flashy headlines that are pretending like hope is here right now. Right? Like, I don't... Uh, so I do have data because I always have data. So here, let me let me present my data so we can go through it together. I don't see anything in the data that told me the gap was closing. And the giant asterisk in all of this is that we now know that Max had a bird in his brake duct for the entire race. The and whole he was still race. Yeah, I think that was lap between laps one and five. A bird decided to to Did you uh, end see its the life. Bird? Yeah, it was really Yeah, gross. I saw the bird. I, it yeah. was one of those, I wish like, I didn't uh, see the bird. I know. I, I felt like I should have had one to, to, like, consent to unblurring right. the photo on Twitter, but it was just there, and I'm like, oh, my <laughs> God, that is definitely the bird. Yeah, I didn't make the photo larger. I, like, quickly, because uh-huh. I, uh, I have the heebie-jeebies yep. about that kind of stuff. Yep, that's why I was like, did you see it? Yeah, yeah, not great. Um... So I think there are so many headlines right now and quotes of uh, particularly what's come out of the race is that Aston thinks that if Alonso didn't get passed by Lewis off the line, he definitely would have competed. Like there was a lot of talk and I'm seeing what I'm seeing right now is that all it is is a lot of talk, but that doesn't mean that talk is untrue. So more data on the screen on the YouTube video right now. This comes from Code F1, which is one of my favorite accounts for visualizing data, which is why I pulled their graph here. Um, this is stint one of the race. So when the drivers were all on medium tires, what we have on the screen right now are the all the drivers from the top four teams. I really just am going to talk about Verstappen, Hamilton, and Alonso here. Zero in on that. You'll notice that Max's time has a little asterisk there. And that's because he is the only driver from this group whose lap times were never aided by DRS. So there's that caveat here. Um, Essentially, it is all of their average lap times per second. Um, And then it's a... 
it, it shows where the, the bulk of it is. There's a visualization here. But we'll just look at the big numbers. So Max on that medium tire at the start of the race with no aid of DRS at any point, averaged 77.5 seconds. Lewis averaged 77.7 seconds. And Alonso averaged 77.7 seconds. Uh, the biggest difference between Lewis and Alonso is that Lewis's lap times were much more consistent around that average. And Alonso had greater periods of time where he was faster than Lewis, but also greater periods of time where he was slower than Lewis. There was a bigger distribution on his lap times. Lewis and Alonso both had periods of time where they were aided by DRS when they were following each other, though. Um, I will point out that I think Lewis in this stint only had DRS for like three or four laps, where Alonso spent about 22 laps behind Lewis Hamilton because he was slow off the start. Um, the next closest driver in lap time was Russell. And for the period of time before he crashed, he was at a 77.8. So a tenth of a lap slower than Alonso and Lewis during this time period. I, is the gap closer? I, I guess like on this circuit, I would say it was closer. But I don't know how much of that it is to do with the fact that there was a bird in Max's car. Or like this is my problem with race pace comparisons, which is what everyone's talking about right now. Like, oh, they could have caught him in the race. Maybe it's closer in the race. I think it's pretty well known that what Red Bull's doing is they're looking at the lap times of all the other teams and they're saying, go two or three tenths a lap faster than that max. So we've yet to actually see how fast max could go in a race if he was actually being pushed because there's no teammate to push him. So... Uh, I hope that doesn't like, completely burst the bubble of, is it closer? I just think at this race, we haven't seen data yet that tells me it's closer. But that doesn't mean it's not coming. When it comes to Max, it's such a frightening thing to hear anyone say and to hear you say, like, yeah, we're probably not seeing the full potential of what this car could do. And there was a bird in the car. So now... This is Canada. This We talk every week about the different variables per circuit, per race, given the conditions, the weather, everything like that. So as I'm watching the race and seeing that there would be any sort of gap and just seeing that it's not, you know, 28 seconds, I was like, <gasps> there's 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 a less of a gap. But like there's obviously still a gap. So how could this change in coming circuits? Could it be just Canada specific like you were kind of starting to get to what are we looking at going into moving forward can will there still be less of a gap but still a gap well real quick before I answer that question if you're on YouTube video this is the hard tire numbers which show almost the exact same thing we were talking about before okay sorry um I just I wanted to be able to show everyone the other graph because <laughs> I pulled both to answer your question is this Canada specific I'm going to look at this through our Mercedes lens and through the Mercedes lens this is a track built for Mercedes to be bad at their car even the upgraded version of this car this was not going to be a good track for them so that being said, I think that it could be at other circuits, particularly Silverstone coming up, the gap could be closer if I'm looking through that lens in particular, because Mercedes brings this big package, 
Probably would have finished third and fourth if George didn't crash at the worst possible circuit for them. So I think we might see a truer closing at the gra- of the gap at future races. It's just hard to predict right now because Red Bull could also just bring upgrades too. Like there's, there's a couple too many variables, but I do think that all other things remaining equal, it should get better. It, it really should. Uh, I deserve the hope alarm. We don't burst hope here, but we do have a sounder called the hope alarm. (laughs) That's completely fair. Yeah. Yeah, we do. No, I, I don't even think it's hope at this point. I do think it's like a reality bubble burst type of thing. Like knowing of if something is even in the realm of possibility due to math. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess the hard the reason it's so hard to answer this question is it all goes back to I don't think we actually know what the pace of that Red Bull is. So do I think at some point we're going to start to see teams put pressure on Max in a race setting? Probably. Because they also can't be bulletproof and get always just get everything right. Like they might have a weekend where they get a setup wrong, etc. But I'm excited for us to see some pressure put on them so then we can see what the actual pace is and know what the actual benchmark is. The issue right now is I have no idea what the benchmark of what what would getting closer look like. Because right now every week it just feels like, all right, Max, just go faster than just keep going. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we need to get to a race where that's not happening for us to even understand what getting closer is. We're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Can't even see the end of the gap. Right. <laughs> I don't know what the gap is to tell you if we're closing the gap. It's actually, it's become my litmus test for headlines is if you're telling me the gap is closing, that's not an article I need to read because you don't know what the gap is. I don't know what the gap is. No one knows what the gap is. But there is a gap. Right. It's still there. It, it was actually why I was so frustrated about the wet qualifying, not because it wasn't fun, but because qualifying is the one time where we can actually see a raw pace number of the car because they are actually pushing. It's not like they're saying, hey, Max, go put out this lap time. Like, No, he's pushing as hard as he can to get what that P1 is. So while it does seem like the strength of the Red Bull car is race pace, which is really smart in the... Uh, ground effect, passable, no dirty airflow era we're in right now. Um, it, it at least gives us attainable goals. And we've had too many wet qualifyings and Monaco's and things. I like feel like I haven't been able to pull race pace numbers in weeks. Or I mean, qualifying development numbers in weeks. I'm like, give me a normal circuit with no rain in qualifying. And that's a gap we can talk about. Yeah, rainy quali and Checo snagging a fastest lap time just at the end is not going to give you any kind of the data that you need to really tell you what that RB19 can do. Our Mercedes quotes that got me so hyped up for the rest of this season. We're coming off a whole segment where we talk about how bad things are. These are things that got like me like jumping up and down ready to go. Let's do this. Yeah. This is this is the Hope Alarm podium. Incredible. I'm all for it. Let's go. Okay. P3 
two more upgrades. And they're both coming before summer break. We have four races left. We know one is, the big one is coming in Silverstone. And then we have one more. And they're both supposed to be significant upgrades to the Mercedes car. Toto just dropping that, like, there you go. Like, here you go. P2. Silverstone. Toto was asked, if I say you're going to win a race this year, what circuit would that be on by Viva Play after the race? And he just said Silverstone. Yes, please. I can't. That just gets me kind of amped at all. Just also hearing a, an answer to the question when it could have just been like, oh, we don't know and we will mm-hmm. see some workaround answer, but giving any sort of answer. And of course, I'm still in that brain. You know, we've picked Max as P1 for like every single race for every prediction. And again, as we should. As right. <laughs> I'm not, don't worry. I'm not like suddenly changing that anytime. Silverstone. Stop! P1. Lewis, it's hammer time. I can't believe they didn't play it over the like the live feed. It's actually shocking to me that it didn't happen. But for the first time in about a year and a half, we got it. It's hammer time. The universe is healing. It feels right. It feels like a right thing to say. I, I, it should always make sense and be relevant on a Lewis Hamilton radio. Thank Nicole. Goodness. Silver time. I'm sorry. I combined them together. <laughs> Nicole. Silverstone. Just Silverstone. Ah, I can't. I'm so nervous. I'm hiding behind baby Lewis and I am scared, but so excited. We always like to harp on how wrong Ferrari gets everything. So I think we need to take a moment and talk about Ferrari's strategy this weekend. And the fact that they actually got it right this weekend and they were able to maneuver both their cars that started 10th and 11th, I believe was the final answer. And they got them to... Decently high heights. They finished like, the race. They finished like the race? Start, you could start there that they both finished the race. They finished the race in the points. It right. really was, as someone who had, Carlos was my P7 prediction, just going in of like a sense of perhaps Ferrari optimism. And then they did better than my prediction. So big plot twist. Wow, Ferrari. (laughs) This happened because Ferrari stayed out during the safety car and they prioritized track position, which did end up being the right thing to do. They were able to keep that track position. We already talked all about Alex Albon and his track position. So my question about this is, did Ferrari get something right? Or does even a broken, is even a broken clock correct twice a day? I, wow, my gut feeling, and I think it's just because I I think I've decided to give up on my, like, Ferrari hope that I was talking about last week. I think a wrong, a, a broken clock is wrong twice a day. It 
because even if you were to ask Ferrari if they feel like did they get this weekend right, I think a majority of the answer would be about how they got things wrong. It would start positive about the things that they did and getting points and it was good for the team, but then we'd talk about all the things that they thought were wrong. And I think if you asked both drivers, it kind of seemed like they were both frustrated at times or, you know, a discussions of things on the radio and carlos's whole penalty situation added a fun little spicy mix to it all so no i don't i don't necessarily think that it's like this new up-and-coming change of ferrari nailing a strategy perfectly i think there was a perfect storm that worked relatively in their favor yeah i think what the giveaway for me was why didn't they split the strategies even if you have an inkling that leaving the car out in the safety car period would be good. Like I would have felt as someone who is a Carlos fan and roots for Ferrari's general success, I would have felt so much better about the decision if they were like, leave one on track, bring one into the pits. We are doubling our chances of a good result. Like what if this wasn't, didn't end up being the strategy. Everyone else dove into the pits. I just don't want to make a decision that could pinpoint to them favoriting a driver i Which think to me that is a broken clock is they, correct right like they, they just won't even consider even if they're not favoriting one because they don't know what would be the right decision at that time however it would have been played out would have just been like well you did this well you did this so they're just gonna be like so we're just not and we're gonna have both of our drivers finish together in the middle you hopeful for upcoming races I no, I said I gave my whole. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Fun. I my Ferrari is Ferrari, and it was fun. even when I say I'm I, I I'm not gonna give up my hope, then they do better. I can't I can't nail it. I think I just gotta let them be and figure themselves out and just stay away. P three, shady, sassy, silly, spicy moment of the weekend. The George Russell, Daniel Ricardo flipping off of the bird exchange. Uh, due to video evidence now being provided, George started this whole thing. I just appreciate that you can tell that George got out of the car and was thinking about this joke he was going to say to a media member the entire way there. He was like, you know what? I have this interaction. It's going to be funny. It's going to get clipped out. And he's like, and I'm going to say it this way to this presenter. Like, I, I thought it was fantastic. Yes, it was. It's so great. George quoted of an Australian fan was loose in the paddock and, you know, flipped a finger at me. And then you'd see George, the footage is great. Literally, <laughs> Danny Rick on the pit wall. George in the car. George, you see a little glove. And then Danny Rick does it right back. So, you know, P2. Pierre behind Carlos in the driver's parade. That was a lot of talk from someone who got two impeding penalties the week before. Unbelievable. But, you know, you make a big enough stink and there was so much impeding going on just all weekend that it was and the line of the stewards office was crazy. But the fact that Alpine then posted a picture of Pierre with Carlos in front of him saying, oh, I think we need another grip penalty. Like, I can't believe this. It's hot the- kettle. 
<laughs> unbelievable but and just being Great able content. to turn around and turn it into a joke so fast i appreciate the good content agreed but and i can't believe i even for a second thought of changing this from p1 because it is potentially my new favorite gif moment of the entire weekend p1 moment toto impersonating alonzo steering the wheel oh my goodness the unbelievable moving hands back and forth and just every i mean we don't need to go into the entire situation of the entire thing because it all just ends with a very very silly incredible video of toto memingly driving a car and it is exactly what alonzo looked like and those are my shady moments of the weekend all right, Nicole, is it time that we actually have to have the Checo conversation? Because admittedly, I've been putting this off for weeks. I also have been putting it off because it just, I really, a lot of me preseason and even at the start of the season was like, this will never be a legitimate conversation. It'll always just be like a hypothetical of conversation of bye-bye, maybe, or just you're not living up to the hype. Um, Checo's struggling. Checo is clearly struggling. It is without a doubt that Red Bull has the car on the grid, the fastest car on the grid, the spaceship, rocket ship, whatever kind of ship that's Red Bull. And he's not performing even close, removing the way that Max can drive and probably drive a cardboard box. Like this car has the possibility to be one of the most dominant cars in F1 history. And he hasn't made it to Q3 for three weekends. He finished P6 behind the Ferraris. Like, so let's say, let's say something happened with Max's car and he was starting P12 like Checo did. Do you think there was any way Max wasn't winning that race? No. No, literally no. Max would have ended up with another bird in his car and still ended up on that podium, let alone top of the podium. I think the reason I personally have been putting off this conversation and talking about this is because it feels like there's no point. As fans, Max needs to have a teammate that can actually drive the car so this season isn't a snooze fest. But I... Honestly, think this is what Red Bull wants. Red Bull wants an incompetent, like a competent enough, incompetent second driver where there's no chance of them losing the constructors, but there's also no chance of him competing with Max for the championship. So that's why this conversation is like, yeah, Checo's having a bad time. Checo will probably continue to have a bad time. I wish Checo was not having a bad time. I think Red Bull is perfectly fine with Checo having a bad time. Yeah, it's something that we've discussed on here before is like when you're at Red Bull right now and you are not Max Verstappen, then you will be second driver to Max Verstappen. And if you were going to Red Bull thinking that you were going to be winning a championship, you will be when it's a constructor's championship, but not a driver's championship. You are that number two seat is number two to Max. It's a lot more exciting as a fan to see if someone can utilize that car and race him at all so that would be great for us to see but i agree with you i don't think red bull is looking to have someone that can legitimately compete in that sense with that other car but 
be maintaining the points. Right. I mean, what them, I don't think so. Because then I think it's also the easy conversation of where then, then how many, like the never ending quote unquote, or just like the line of drivers that would be like, I'll take, I'll, I'll, I'll take the other red, but I'll take the, I'll take it. I'll be just like Max. I'll be fast. I'll be Max at the, or just like, I will be second to Max and I will be fine just being in that car. Like there's like multiple drivers that that could be. Valtteri wasn't Lewis Hamilton. We knew that. But he did not miss Q3 one time in that car. So at 100% least he percent of the time in Q3. I don't think anyone was like, oh, yeah, Valtteri is going to compete with Lewis this year, except maybe Valtteri. But like, it wasn't sad to watch. That is what I'm asking for. If your car is going to be dominant, you need to give me two cars. And the threshold is please don't make it sad to watch. For that reason, I do think that Red Bull cares about its appearance and pretending like it's supporting a second driver. So I really, like my, I don't think they're going to mid-season replace Checo, but I do think this is his last year in that car, and I do think Yuki's going to get that seat, which I am preemptively very hyped for the chaotic duo duo that will be Max Verstappen and Yuki Tsunoda in that car next year. And if I get anything else, I will be sad because I cannot stop thinking about the the screaming and the videos and like all the above. I'm hyped. And you know what? If you want to replace Checo midseason and put Yuki in the car, please, because I need the entertainment. <laughs> well, that'll definitely, definitely do it. Well, we can't have a Canadian GP without animals. So I brought a podium of animal moments of the weekend because there were enough stellar animal-related moments to actually make a fantastic podium. So much so that I have an honorable mention. And the honorable mention is a callback to something you said earlier, which is Valtteri's helmet. Very candid. It was a good design. P3, Groundhogs during FP1. The fact that FP1 didn't happen and then poor commentators just had to resort to talking about groundhogs for extended periods of time and going to different shots of them all over the track and explaining, ah, there's another one at turn nine. And normally they'll just one-off mention it and they were forced to give a whole dissertation about groundhogs because they needed to fill the time. Uh, the incorporation of the groundhogs in the F1 graphics and then also having any groundhog have like a name card come up. I'm just like, there is a professional with F1 that needed to, was instructed to be like, the groundhog needs a name, the groundhog needs an identity and a whole persona. I love it. Incredible. I really, like, sidebar, was very impressed with the F1 TV crew for the fact that they were able to fill the entire broadcast time of FP1 with nothing going on and no updates. And they were just able to talk. And that that's a skill. I was really impressed. But moving on, P2. Max Verstappen went on a safari. Not only was there a bird in his brake duct, he, there's this fantastic video of him being asked about it and then going through every animal he saw during his race. Oh yeah, there was a groundhog at this turn. There were a couple other birds at different moments. It's about a 30 second video of Max just talking about all the animals he interacted because he didn't come across any competitive cars. He probably saw another one of those animals when he went over that curb. Right. And P1... You might be saying, how is Max getting a bird stuck in his car? Not the best animal moment of the weekend. 
And that is because P1 is Valtteri's quote, good weather for a duck. I loved that quote so much. (laughs) And his delivery was so different than mine because he went good weather for, and then this dramatic pause, a duck. And it was like, he was driving around in that F1 car, like almost losing it and just felt like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do some good delivery of my like silly joke here over the radio. He had a great weekend, it seems. (laughs) Valtteri is a cyclist, an F1 driver, and a comedian all in one. As I alluded to in the intro of this podcast, there seems to be so many big things going on in F1 that were announced in the last about two weeks. I have brought a new segment today. It's called the Tire of Topics. On the Tire of Topics, there are eight topics. What we're going to do is we're going to spin this wheel and talk about whatever it lands on. We have no choice. It's the tire of topics. So let me let me show you what this looks like. And maybe you can share to the people listening um, some of the topics that are on the tire of topics. Okay. Oh, my goodness. The tire of topics is literally a Pirelli tire, guys. It is so <laughs> cute and fun, and it is spinning in front of my eyes. Um, So, (laughs) some of the topics that we have, F1 Arcade, F1 Script, Barbie and Ken, Lewis at Louie, Forbes, Mavericks, F1, okay, well, I know what this is, F1A, DYD, and Make-A-Wish. The tire of topics is not a very large top tire so i had to abbreviate the discovery your drive yeah i was just like f1 and like, this has now become a puzzle of what these all stand <laughs> for but all great very fun so, i'm excited should i see what the tire of topics wants us to start talking about spin the wheel spin the wheel spin the tire spin the tire <laughs> <laughs> Louis and Louis! Yay! <laughs> okay. This topic is because Louis Vuitton had their, it were in Paris today and had Pharrell's first fashion show as creative director. It was an incredibly star-studded event. And I just wanted to gush if it land, if the, the tire gave us this topic. I just wanted to gush about how great Louis looked. That's really what I wanted to do. Lewis in Louis. It is first off, what a fun alliteration of things. His outfit looked fantastic. And I also enjoy seeing what Louis Vuitton does with their fashion shows in particular. And I was also just excited to see what Pharrell does in this new role with Louis Vuitton. But especially ever since post COVID, Louis Vuitton's gotten very creative with their fashion shows. So love that. Love that this is a brand that Lewis consistently wears and works with. Pierre was also there. I'll point that out. But I am still, because of as we're recording this, this happened about an hour ago. I'm just waiting for the photo of Lewis Hamilton and Beyonce together because it's been a while since we've gotten one. I saw him with Kim Kardashian. I saw that photo, but I'd rather see yeah. him with Beyonce. Yeah, and Zendaya was there. So I want a photo of that. 
This was an incredibly star-studded event. Okay, so we can move on quickly because it was really just to give an excuse for me to put a photo on the YouTube video of how Lewis Hamilton looked at this fashion show. This All is right. not gossip grid. This is tire of topics. <laughs> yep. All right. Let's spin the tire again. Spinning the wheel. Spinning the wheel. We're spinning the tire. F1 script. All right. So. F1 has announced that they've greenlit a scripted TV show. So we have Drive to Survive. This is a scripted TV show that's headed, like the star of the show is going to be Felicity Jones. That's her last name, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Felicity Jones. And it's going to be a whole TV show. Yeah, we got a fictional family drama series about a fictional F1 team that's owned by a family. That's really all the description we've been given, but my entire viewpoint and perspective, I'm just imagining Friday Night Lights, but it's all Formula One themed. I'm imagining- I love if, that. Yeah, I'm basically imagining if like they made Friday Night Lights about Williams racing is kind of what my brain is foreseeing with this. It'll be interesting to see. It, it, in my viewpoint, it kind of just looks like F1 is- being like TV, we successful reality TV, successful scripted TV. Like that just seems like the realm they're going for. And I wish we could fast forward this project because I want to see if this business case study works because there has been a ton of successful racing movies and like scripted content. I don't know if it's actually increased viewership of races historically, but that seems to be what they're banking on here. And if it's a great show, I'll just be happy. But right. I'd be I'm very excited for it as a current F1 fan. I also also I don't like I'm not jazzed about the name. The name of it is just one. That's the name of it. And I'm and it just doesn't translate. Like Drive to Survive translates that there is racing, you have to driving drive to survive. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, I always find, I find this is way tangent off topic, but the naming of TV shows is so important because you want it to be simple enough, but it needs to not require further explanation. So something like Lost, hit it on the nose. It's incredibly simple. You know exactly what it's about instantly, but you can't just all, not all one worded TV show names are created equal, but it's only in the script stage. It was just greenlit. Like that name probably could change. Hundred percent could definitely end up being something very, very different. Excited to see it. We'll watch at least the pilot, but I think we got a long time before that's that's gonna be anywhere. We'll see Brad Pitt's Apple TV movie first, probably. A hundred percent. Yeah. All right. Next. I think we have time for at least two more topics if we yes. go fast. We can spin the tire. Tire of topics. <laughs> Okay, for those of you listening and not watching, almost every time it's gone around now, it's looked like it's going to land on Barbie and Ken. And of course, I want it to land on that one. And every time it lands on something else, this time it's F1 Arcade, which I am excited to talk about this. So F1 uh, opened up their F1 Arcade in London about towards the mid to end of last season. They're about to open up their second UK-based F1 Arcade and have already announced that they're going to be opening one in 2024 in Boston. But the more recent news that we got is that they got 
30 million pounds in funding from investors for a global expansion to over 30 locations by 2027 is the goal. There's a ton of notable names on this list, such as Zach Brown, Lando Norris, and Logan Sargent are actually all now investors in F1 Arcade. I've seen a lot of interesting responses to this on one side. I selfishly would just like them to give me one near me anytime soon. Um, but I've also seen some really funny comparisons to NASCAR Cafe, which if you do not know or have never heard of NASCAR Cafe, which admittedly I had not because I'm not a NASCAR fan, NASCAR had a boom in America about 15 years ago, and they opened up restaurants called NASCAR cafes. Most of them aren't around anymore, but there are a few you can go to in the United States that are still hanging on there. Still have them? Oh my gosh. Um, But it was a whole restaurant. You know what it looks like? It looks like, what is the name of the restaurant with the dinosaurs? The one in downtown Disney? Uh, yeah, it's like at all the There's theme parks. The one. Uh, hold on, hold oh on. no, Rainforest Cafe is what. Yes. You're <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's Rainforest Cafe. It looks like it Rainforest Cafe, but NASCAR. And I think that's the only way I could describe it. I it, this has just got to be a Google for everyone's own enjoyment at some point because I'm. I'm I'll just put gonna, it up on the screen. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Apparently, I did read, and it seems like the NASCAR cafe is. I, I didn't mean to actually just go off on a whole NASCAR cafe tangent, but we are here. They like the reason I make the Rainforest Cafe example is that it seems like some of them did have sound effects. Like it's like everyone, like the same as like a thunderstorm happening. You get like an engine revving, and like it, it seems like car racing, but Rainforest These places, cafe. But this looks like a lot of fun. I would love for me to go to one of these. And now, okay, we're really just. F1 but arcade should F1 be arcade. type. Right. Now, F1's demographic is very different than NASCAR's demographic. So I I think it's going for a little more of like a highfalutin vibe versus NASCAR Cafe was going for middle America diner aesthetic here. Um, but what do you think about this? Do you think these investments are good investments? Do you think that with it being the peak, like what might be the peak of interest right now, like, do you think this will continue? Um, I think it's a great idea. Uh, also, I am selfishly wanting one, but I think this is one of those instances of generating a place for F1 fans to have access. Like this is a great place where you can go to a race watch party that would, I am under the assumption that going to an F1 arcade would be cheaper than going to a race itself. Yes. So I think just being able to exist in that community and being able to go somewhere to enjoy an event that like is themed in the event that you are watching is really sick and really cool. And there's so many other things within motorsports that they can utilize that space for. But I think it's a great idea. I think there's a lot of places. I mean, just on the F1 calendar alone, there's plenty of places that they can be putting these arcades. I mean, they're putting the first the first one in the US is in Boston and there's no F1 race there. So <laughs> I I really like the word access because I think the more uh accessible F1 is in particularly metropolitan areas, the more likely people who can't get to a race or come from a lower income background 
could be able to have an interaction with F1 that they would never be able to get otherwise. Right. Yeah. I agree. I'm hyped. Put one in Southern California, please. Thank you. Um, okay. One more spin here. One more spin. Barbie and Ken, Barbie and Ken, Barbie and Ken. <laughs> Forbes. Okay, this one's also really fun. So uh, before the Canadian GP, Toto and Lewis were both uh, panelists at a big Forbes conference in New York City, where they both spoke about uh, diversity in their field and how they're working towards creating a more diverse workforce, but then also really importantly, how creating a more diverse workforce increases overall performance. Because when you come in with different perspectives and different backgrounds, you're going to come to better answers and better solutions in the end. Nicole, what were your thoughts on this panel? I absolutely loved it. All of the statements, all of the data that they provided. I think it's great because Lewis is so vocal about diversity inclusion across the board in all areas, but particularly in motorsports, he makes such an effort in making that difference and trying to make a change. So it's incredible to see that Mercedes provides outlets and opportunities and a spotlight to highlight those things, let alone puts things in progress and basically puts their money where their mouth is. And it's like, we're starting these initiatives of growing how we recruit people from different walks of life, recruiting people from underprivileged backgrounds and giving them that opportunity that they wouldn't have otherwise and providing a spotlight on that. And not only having that goal at all, but exceeding it and then being like, hi, look, we can do this. And like Mercedes isn't just going to hire anyone because Right, to check a box. Yeah, Yeah. like they're not just trying to like have this be a good press for them. It's doing it because it's the right thing. It's the better thing to to your point. The more diverse pool of people that you look at, the more of diverse viewpoints that you are working with, the more solutions and ways that you can come about doing things and thus the better progress and outcome you will have. So it's, again, Mercedes is doing what, everyone else should be or will eventually be doing because it's the right thing to do. So just again, proud to be a Mercedes fan with this. Right. I love how much Toto and the entire Mercedes organization beyond just the racing team, like Mercedes at large have embraced all of Lewis's initiatives and a couple of great things from this. While we don't have the full video recording, there has been articles and recaps that have come out with great quotes from this presentation that they put out. They brought actual numbers and data to show what is changing in their organization to make it more diverse. So they set the benchmarks, actually, they spent, they, (laughs) words, they set clear benchmarks for themselves to hit and then told us the clear numbers of how they hit them. So it wasn't just, we're going to create a more diverse workforce. They outlined how they were going to do it. And now they're following up on that and telling all of us the success in that. So that's great. But then I will also point out about this presentation and it was in the article that Toto specifically calls attention to the largest growing fan base in motorsports right now is young females. So it's always great to be recognized. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Toto. Thank you so much. It's always great to be recognized every time I hear anyone in motorsports and particularly of course heads of teams and team principals and drivers anyone at all 
recognizing the strength of the female growing fan base in motorsports and F1. Hello, we are here. We are recognized. Thank you. All right, we've run out of time. Um, we have four topics here that we didn't get to. I'm going to rapid fire through them, but I believe all of these topics, if we don't already, we will have short form videos out. So go follow us at Gridwalk Show on um, either TikTok or Instagram, and you'll be able to see us talk more about these things. But the Formula One Academy started a new initiative called Discover Your Drive, which is more of a grassroots initiative, which is something we've really been asking for them. It's starting in the UK. Mavericks was Mavericks of Motorsport, which is the name of the panel that Lewis Hamilton was on before the Canadian GP that he was put on in conjunction with Mercedes-Benz Canada. Barbie and Ken is that our Barbie and Ken, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling are going to be starring and actually begin shooting this month a prequel to In the Oceans franchise that takes place in 1960s at the Monaco GP. And then Make-A-Wish this week, F1 announced that they're going to be working in conjunction with the Make-A-Wish Foundation to be granting wishes of kids who want to have F1 experiences as their wish. And I... So that is our roundup of all the topics that have been going on and our tire of topics. Tire of topics. That was a lot of fun. I love that. All right. Well, it is not an F1 race week, but it is an F1 Academy race week, which uh, is only not as exciting just because we can't watch it, which I will bring up every time we do this because I'm still upset about it. But, uh, like with F1, going into an F1 Academy weekend, we do make some predictions. The way we do F1 Academy is that we draft drivers. Um, in round three was the first go of this. Nicole's drafted drivers won her 78 points over the course of the weekend, and my drafted drivers only won me 50. So Nicole is has taken an initial lead of this uh, little F1 Academy thing we do <laughs> whatever prediction thing. points we're, we're we have a rooting interest we just want the whole thing to succeed but we we got to make everything competition and i it's just it feels so good to have so many points when i'm falling behind in our traditional predictions but i love love getting wow that's so many points that feels so fantastic so i'll take it where i'll take my wins where i can before we get into previewing and selecting some drivers for this weekend's F1 Academy race, I do think that we need to do like a postmortem and discuss what was announced this week for the W Series and just kind of reflect on what the W Series did for uh, what we now have as the F1 Academy. Yeah, so it, we basically got the official announcement, but it was, I wouldn't say, at least speaking for myself, in big surprise news. So the W Series, which was the female racing series prior, which I guess eventually led to F1 Academy, which we'll get into in a second. But what W Series announced that it is going into arbitration, also referred to as administration. It's insolvent. It had let go all of its employees it is currently no longer existing it's a fancy form of bankruptcy basically is is what we're all coming to um it has only been less than a year since they canceled the 2022 season before it actually kind of got to finish going through this was all due to financial difficulties 
there was a lot of hope or at least it was discussion and headlines about the W series returning in 2023. And there was discussions of financial backings and different things, but it all basically fell through. But at least when it comes to this and acknowledging what the W series was may return to be hopefully one day, but not wanting to just focus on it being insolvent anymore, but focusing on the change and what it did do in motorsports. Because the W Series, although some people may label it as a failure, which it wasn't, in my opinion, because it's not necessarily just about the amount of time a series is around or the amount of money that it made in anything that, that type of sense. But the W Series gave a spotlight and opportunity for not only female drivers to drive, but for other females who have won an interest in motorsports or a younger generation of females that could see themselves potentially as a driver can have something to relate to, can see themselves in this series in type some type of way. So it really accelerated the growth or at least a presence of females in motorsports as a whole. So I think to just be looking at the financial faults, which have so many other pieces that go into what makes a financial investment, but to not acknowledge the spotlight that the W series gave for the need and want for a female presence in the motorsports industry would just be a shame. So that's where I want to kind of guide our attention to. I completely agree. I think in order to have a discussion of did something fail, you first need to establish what was the goal. This was a one of a kind first in its attempt series where the goal was to do exactly what you're talking about, which is bring eyes and attention on the fact that we need more opportunities for women to be in higher levels of formula racing, racing as a whole, but their focus was formula racing and provide those opportunities where finding financial backing wasn't an issue. And I think that they achieved in sparking that. And I think everything we have now, I don't believe if the W Series didn't push through the slog, because the W Series was not affiliated with F1. It wasn't funded by F1. It was a group of investors who said, we're going to try to do this and we're going to try to make change ourselves. Do you know how hard that is? Just in general, but in a male-dominated world like motorsports, where there are women who would want to drive, and to fill these seats, but they can't find the funding because men are telling them no. And they decided to be mavericks and try to do this with this goal of bringing attention to talented women who should be getting more opportunities. And what comes of that, well, the sad news is that right now, that means the W series has not been able to continue itself. It has sparked and brought enough attention to that cause that F1 is now heavily investing in its own F1 Academy. We alluded in the prior segment to the fact that uh, not only are they running their own Formula 4 category in the F1 Academy, but they're also now putting down uh, work in the grassroots and getting more women into karting. So all of those initiatives, I fully believe would not exist without the W Series. 
Yeah, it definitely set the framework. And I mean, and you could say I the list is never ending of things. It would be like, I'd love to see kind of how it would have played out if the pandemic didn't happen. I think right. with, you know, given the terms of because so much of it just becomes a delicate of like financial situation and things were just cut so dry especially in the last like three years when it came to where people were spending their money and investing in certain things and what made sense and what was a necessity. And I think at least it, it built that framework. It built that foundation so that F1 can have something like F1 Academy and grow it in a way. And I do again, feel really hopeful about having Susie Wolf being involved with f1 academy and some of her quotes in regards to the discover your drive initiative that they're starting i mean she flat out it's it's not just about like oh there's other female drivers which i think is so crucial and so important but it's also the question of okay do you want to be a driver do you want to be an engineer do you want to be a strategist like it's that you can have all it doesn't just have to be like oh you're the one driving the car which i think you totally should be but it's also are you the one building it are you the one creating the entire plans for it showing that it can be any person within the paddock within the grid within the garage any part of that stage so that i think is something that she's really pushing and having as part of the mentality and mission for f1 academy so as long as the support stays there and fans vocalize that they want f1 academy there and to see it and the money flows that way it'll be right right yeah and i think that i mean this is this is a societal issue that i'm about to say that doesn't have a quick fix but i think it's a good reminder that we cannot expect perfection in our initiatives and what are we judging our initiatives on because i personally am not judging initiatives on its financial feasibility when we are trying to make systemic change in people who have um, clear ingrained biases about what women can do in relation to motorsports. To me, that is a bigger mission that we are all collectively working towards. So maybe the W Series wasn't approaching it in the perfect way or the way you want it, but I still don't think it was a failure because it did something. I have many things about the F1 Academy that I wish were different. I will not stop harping on the fact that I don't think it was, they need to televise it. <laughs> they need to televise it. Some way, but somehow, let me see it. At least something's happening. Um, and there are um, reports that the F1 Academy wasn't supposed to launch until next year and they accelerated it because the W Series folded and they didn't want to go a year without seats for these women. Um, and I stand by what we say all the time, which is that the F1 Academy is going to be judged based on are they able to get one of these women into F3 next year with a funded seat. And then we'll we'll judge it then. But initiatives will never be perfect. Um, we just want more of them to cover gaps because the W Series was one of one. Therefore, it can't be perfect. The, right now, the F1 Academy is one of one. Therefore, it can't be perfect. So we need more of this, more investment into it. But I will be such a hard ass on the W Series was not a failure and we can't talk about it that way. But I am sad that it's officially no longer around mm -hmm. because it meant a lot, particularly to the people who were investing their time and energy into it. Quick reminder about how we do our 
picks for the F1 Academy. We snake draft and we both get to pick three drivers. The rules are you can only pick two drivers that are in the top seven in the standings right now. And then you have to pick at least one driver that's in the bottom half of the standings. So that way we don't just go, ah, let's just pick through the standings. We gotta get a little clever. And since I'm behind in the predictions, I have seeded the first pick to Nicole. So I am going for the first pick. Ooh, and I'm gonna go with the obvious, go with the easy. I'm going to take Marta, who is still leading in the series. It feels safe, it feels smart. She'll be my first pick. Yeah, yeah. I knew when I was seeding the first one to you that that's what was going to happen. But I wanted to be able to pick two and three back to back. So I think with pick two, I'm going to pick Hamda, who is second in the standings right now. Mm -hmm. She's Mm -hmm. been one of the more consistent drivers over the course of the season. And I'm going for consistency here. She's last weekend, she did, um, she had one of her least consistent weekends. But besides that, I still. Still going for it. And then I'm going to pick Abby Pulling, who I think has rebounded her season pretty well. She had a rough start to it. And then in the last race, she just had a really good haul of points. And that's really what I was missing last F1 Academy predictions in their week three. I was a little all over the place. So that's why I'm going for consistency this time. So Pamda and Abby are what I'm going with. Yeah, those were those were some uh, definite good picks. I am currently making some readjustments because I definitely okay, in my uh, next set of picks, um, I very much had Abby. She had a very strong weekend in Barcelona, so good good pick on. I mean, again, we're picking from the top, I and mean, they have a really strong strong top of the pack currently right now. Okay, so I now need my. Number two pick and my number three pick. So I am going to, oh, I'm going to go for my second pick. I'm going to take Amna. She had uh, really, she's been really consistent with points in every mm-hmm. weekend. Uh, so again, we're going with consistency. I was had a very similar mindset of you when going through picks, consistency of points. And I, now I'm trying to decide. I can't. Nope. That's it. I like I, that we took both the sisters. I know. I was about to say, I think it's also fun that we take both the sisters. And I just hope that Lena isn't mad at me because I that really thought I was going to be going back to Lena because she was such a huge, huge, she had a huge weekend of going from basically a DNF to winning and is why I'm so ahead. But I'm going to, I think it's fun if we have a little bit of a sister battle this week yeah. with, uh, in our top picks. So Amna and Marta are my um, picks at the top. And then for the rest, I'm actually going to go with a driver that I found particularly an interest in right now. Um, it is the French driver, Lola Lovenfos. Lo- I apologize. I don't speak French, but Lola is the driver who I'm picking as my third draft pick. Um, she is the compost racing driver for the Spanish team, one of the, um, for one of the drivers for the Spanish racing team for compost racing. What baffles me? 
She's 17 years old. Um, yeah. So not trying to give like a whole highlight of her whole history of everything, but she's currently the youngest driver in F1 Academy. And I just really <laughs> thought it was super cool that compost racing selected a driver so young. And there's a lot of, I mean, the, the grid itself is young. There's a lot of other 18 year olds, but she is still 17. Um, she's currently P10 in the standings. So kind of going into this weekend could be very interesting, like where she falls. Um, if she were to, like make some points this weekend and she had her best weekend thus far in Barcelona. So Lola's my driver to watch just because I'm unbelievably impressed at the age of 17 for things that she's done and young females in motorsports. Really, really cool. My final pick here. So from the second half of the standings is I'm going to, since you left it for me, I'm going to go with what I think is the easy pick, which is the person in P8 and that's Emily de Again, similar apologies. I am not Dutch, um, but did the best I could there. Um, I think she, it's a very similar story to exactly what you were talking about with Lola. Like, I think she had the best weekend of the season so far last weekend, even winning the first race. And I'm just, of the group back there, again, I'm going for consistency. And it seems like she could be starting on a consistent delivering basis. Yeah, I, I go. I left you the the eighth in the standing to try to catch up. But at Gridwalk here, we don't believe that all of the stories are about who is at the top of the grid, and sometimes we we veer towards the back. So I'm saddled up with Lola and P10 because I love the story. So, but it'll be fun. I'm excited to see what happens at the in the Netherlands with F1 Academy this weekend, and to continue supporting the series. Oh, and it's a home race for her. That's exciting. I didn't even put that together until just now and, and hearing you say that they're in the Netherlands. Okay, cool. I got I got a hometown favorite. That's fun. I'm, I can't wait to root for that. Reminder, since it's not broadcast, you can watch live timing on the F1 Academy website. They do, all the teams do a very good job of posting social media updates and then follow all of the F1 Academy accounts because they'll recap at the end of days and interview drivers and you can see podium celebrations. So I guess support in the ways we can, even though it's frustrating. And the drivers post really great things on their own socials, obviously, throughout the weekend. Welcome to Yellow Sector Notes. Not the fastest walk around F1, but we will complete a full lap around the paddock, hitting every F1 garage. <laughs> I loved watching you mouth that as I did that. That's very fun. All right, starting with Red Bull. Beginning of our pit walk here. Adrian Newey was quoted saying to Sky Sports that his career has a countdown, but I don't believe he's leaving anytime soon. The exact quote is, my career can't go on forever, so as long as the team want me and I enjoy it, I will keep going. He pointed out, realistically, it's on a countdown. Exactly when that day is, I don't know. So when you're seeing these headlines, it's just Adrian Newey saying, yes, someday I will die. And everyone's taking that as he's retiring. <laughs> Moving on to Ferrari. <laughs> Carlos and Charles both spoke about wanting to race at Le Mans over the last week after Ferrari won Le Mans. Carlos even went as far as mentioning to Vivo Play this weekend that he would want to do it with Charles as his teammate, which I think is very cute. Lewis and Toto spoke at a big Forbes conference before the Canadian GP. Lewis also participated on a panel by Mercedes-Benz Canada on the Mavericks Motorsports, both we touched on earlier further, but I just will continue to point out Lewis being the icon he is. 
Esteban Ocon made an appearance in a rap music video. He was very excited about it. I... Moving on. Lance Stroll is auctioning off his special home GP helmet and race kit to raise money for areas in Canada that were affected by the wildfires. Gunther tried out playing hockey with the Montreal Canadiens leading into the Grand Prix this weekend. Alex Pillow, the man dominating the IndyCar Championship currently, which shouldn't be able to happen because spec series, but that aside, was back in the 2019 McLaren as part of their testing program for development drivers. Williams submitted a proposal to break the cost cap in order to upgrade their 15 plus year old factory. Um, while that sentence there is hysterical, um, I will point out that this to me is a really big test of the the effectiveness of a cost cap because we will continue to hammer home that a cost cap just bakes in advantages. So please let Williams upgrade their factory so they could become an actual racing team. Former McLaren technical director James Key was announced as the incoming technical director for the soon-to-be Audi Sauber team, where he will be reunited with his former McLaren team principal, Andre Seidel. And last but not least, Alphatari. Daniel Ricciardo is officially publicly campaigning for a chance to get back in the Red Bull seat. Confirming to ESPN as well that he would be willing to take the AlphaTauri seat as a trial. I will now read you part of the quote of this article. This for me would be like the fairy tale. Honestly, the fairy tale ending would be to finish my career at Red Bull if I could have it all my own way. But we'll see. I'll probably have to work my way up a little bit before it's re... I probably will have to work my way up a little bit, but it's really nice to be back here. No, I did not tell Nicole this quote before we started recording. This is the first time she's hearing that Daniel Ricardo wants to be back in an F1 seat. So whether or not you believe he should be, Nicole, how are you feeling? I just, I, I just, I am so, I love Daniel Ricardo. I've made that very like, clear on this podcast the one part that i also hope i've also made very clear is i agree that i think that he left red bull he made that decision so this quote entirely makes me infuriated and i want to yell well on that note this was the gridwalk for june 22nd 2023 completed how was my sector time today nicole faster than a canadian groundhog Ooh, I don't know. I don't know if it was fast, but it was definitely just as dramatic. They definitely like to make the race. Well, it was faster than the bird in Max's car. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) I'm sorry it felt so wrong. I can't even, like, go on. I feel so bad for the bird that I just made fun of. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Every time you say the bird in Max's car, I just get the flash of the image that I, I know. I do too. I'm so sorry. Okay. Anyway, I, we have to continue. <clears throat> Thank you, voiceover man. Thank you to Alex Albon's hard tires for really just keeping it together. You really, really did one for all of us here and our four-legged executive producers. 
If you are an audio listener, don't forget to follow, turn on auto downloads, rate and review the pod. It'll take you two seconds. If you are watching on YouTube, subscribe, like the video, turn on notifications, leave a comment saying who was your top driver of the week? Who really impressed you at the Canadian Grand Prix? All of these things really help other people find our podcast, and we sincerely appreciate it. Do you know that we put out F1 content every single day? Join us for daily grid walks on all social media platforms at Gridwalk Show. We'll be back to walk the Formula One grid every single Thursday, and we sincerely hope you join us. Today felt like a grid roll. Kind of like George Russell's tires. Yeah, today definitely felt like a good roll, like George.